0: Welcome to the 21st Century Church podcast. Please check out our website at 21stcenturychurch.co.uk for more information. We'd love to connect with you, so head over to our Facebook and Instagram pages. Enjoy this message from our senior pastor, Stefan Jones. Are you ready for a preach tonight? Yeah. Are you ready for a word from God? Yeah. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we want to make what we've just song, sung our prayer tonight. We pray, would you fall upon this place now with your power, with your anointing? Would you speak to us? Would you breathe in this place? Lead us into the next season you have for us. And Lord, we pray that we would be a people whose trust in you is without borders. Lead us, we pray, into the deep waters. And we ask this in Jesus' name, and we all set together, amen. Well, tonight, we're finishing off the faith series with part five. I didn't forget about it. I mean, I kind of did, but I didn't really forget about it. And, uh, and we're in the mood of finishing off series. And I think actually it's good timing because before we launch the new vision in the new season, we're finishing Christianity 101 next week and the faith series. And the key verse has been, if you've been here for any of them, Hebrews 11 verse six, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, we cannot walk into the purposes of God for our lives. Without faith, we cannot please God in our jobs, in our marriages, in our friendships, in serving in church, in our giving. Without faith, no Christian, no church can please God. That's what this scripture is saying that faith is essential. It's essential. So part one was about a faith that doesn't fail. That there's a bridge from test to testimony and it's called faith. So you need to keep walking. Part two was the walk of faith. That the path to the promise requires us to walk by faith and not by sight. Part three was faith in the process. That in the process, faith is expressed in patient persistence. Part four was faith in action in our touching heaven night. And when Jay came along, there was another Touching Heaven night, so there was kind of part one and part two. And tonight is the faith series, part five, into the deep, into the deep. Now, one of the benefits of marriage is that you inevitably introduce each other to things you would never have come across before. And there's a few of you here. So I was someone who maybe was a bit Welsh in what I used to eat. You know, my favorite food is like a cavalry. And uh, and tapas was not my thing. But since then, I've kind of come to like tapas quite a lot. And uh, there's a Portuguese dish that's one of my favorites, that it's like this pork, right? And some of you will think this is gross. Some of you think this is amazing. (laughs) Smeared and coated in black pudding with rice. Any, any Black Puddin' fans? Yeah, who are the ones that uh, people are say no, I don't like it. Yeah, there's a few as well. But I, I love Black pudding. I think that's pretty cool. Now, before she met me, Mars was not into Mario Kart. But I will tell you now that over her maternity, maybe it's been a bit boring, she's been the one asking me to play Mario Kart. I was like, this is the jackpot of marriage. This is fantastic. And I beat her still every single time. Just want to put it out there. You know, without uh, because of me, Miles, I mean, you're going to be thinking I'm giving her a great education. She has watched every single James Bond film to date, in order through four years of our marriage, ready for no time to die, so we're gonna be there. We watched Quantum of this the other day, and so Skyfall is next. Some of you are feeling sorry for Miles in this moment, but because of Miles, I watched Daddy Take Care the other week, and I've never seen it before, and it was quite quite a fun film, so never seen that. You know, it gets a bit obscure because of my wife. I know what flower bomb is, I know what dessert is, It's very expensive, and she knows obscure names of Japanese professional wrestlers. It's one of the greatest gifts of marriage is that we kind of get each other into introducing things, but one thing I've given Miles has been the gift of snorkeling of snorkeling. Now, I find it strange that considering she's Portuguese and she grew up by the sea, she can't really swim very well. You know, she's claimed she can swim, but she can't. It's more of one of those, you know, doggy paddle survival ones. But really, she would drown in 10 seconds in reality. So she can't swim. And so it took her white Welsh boy to teach her to snorkel in our own backyard off the south coast of Portugal when we were there on holidays. Anyone else a snorkeling fan? Anyone else like it? Yeah? Not that many have tried it, okay? If you've never done it before, you should really do it next time you're on holidays. Maybe not if holidays are in 10B, but you could try it. But definitely try it when you're abroad. Because there's something wondrous about when you go snorkeling that you enter this hidden realm that you'd never seen before of the fish. And, and I remember vividly, my father taught me to snorkel and we were on holidays and we were somewhere in the canaries. We were on a boat and it was deep, deep water. And I remember the fear of looking at the deep water because I was like six or seven. I was totally on my depth and people were going off the boat for a swim and he kind of helped me to put on the mask and snorkel. And as I leaned into the process, as I trusted my father, as I trusted the skills I found the fear evaporated. A confidence built in me. And I loved snorkeling ever since. So when we were on holidays, we thought, right, okay, I'm going I'm to take my wife out. And so we, we went out and we put on the mask and snorkel. And, you know, it was a bit of a, you know, it just took a while, but eventually she got the hang of it. And so she was swimming around. But this is what one of her rules was to me. I'm fine in the shallows, but I don't want to go out of my depth. Out of my depth is where people drown. That's where people die. That's the dangerous place. Can we just snorkel in the shallows? And so she wanted to snorkel in the shallows. And I think she saw one fish that size and was like, look, this is fun. This is amazing. But if you've ever been proper snorkeling, you know that's not snorkeling. To really see the fish, to see the wonder, the beauty of snorkeling, you have to go out of your depth. The fish are not on the shallow shoreline. They're not in the you know in the, the break of the surf. They're in the deep. That's where the fish are. And so eventually I persuaded her, you know, come on, hold hands or link arms. I said, I've got my, you know, fins flippers on. I said, I'll keep you if you need to go, you know, if you're struggling. And so off we went into the deep. And you could see her do mean a demeanor change as we came into this new world and saw not just one little fish, but loads of fish swimming around all of us. The wonder, the beauty of it. By the end, I was the one dragging her out of the sea because it was time to go in because she loved it so much. My key thought for tonight is very simple. To finish the series, and I believe it's a word in season for us as a church, it's this, go deeper go deeper. Tell your neighbor, go deeper. deeper. Tell the other one, get out of your depth. That's what we're going to be doing. The wonder, the beauty, the blessing of what God has for us is not found in the shallows. It's not found in the safe places. It's not found in in your own depth where you can manage everything yourself. It's found in the deep. And as we journey through this passage tonight, we're going to do something a bit different. We're going to just go through the story bit by bit. Jesus is going to ask Simon three questions. And I believe he's asking us similar questions tonight. And the answer to each of them is in a position of faith that says, yes, Lord, I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper. So are you ready? Yeah. Come on, guys. Get a bit more enthusiastic. I know it's January, February's on the corner. Are you ready? Yeah. fantastic that's more like it all right here we go Luke 5 let's make a beginning so it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets then he got into one of the boats which was Simon's and asked him to put out a little from the land and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat okay So as we embark on this, you need to use your imagination a little bit here. Put yourself in the story. Try and imagine the scene. This is early in the ministry of Jesus. He's on home turf. Already there are crowds of people hungry for the word of God. And we're on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Now Luke, who wrote this gospel, is a gentle doctor and a historian. So he wants the technical definition because technically... It is a lake, that's what he calls it. It's a freshwater lake, 700 feet below sea level, 13 by 8 miles, 64 square miles, 150 foot max depth. Um, I hope those geographical stats really you know, helped you out there, our geography teacher. And it was surrounded by numerous harbors and cities. It was the most important local source of fish for Jews. And there was a businessman who fished there called Simon. And Simon, he had his own boat, that means he was doing all right for himself. You know, in that, in that day and age, I've got my own boat I I'm my own boss. i got my little fishing business. He had partners as well. He was doing all right. But to him, the boat was a boat. Something to make money, to provide for his family. We read that he had a wife. So much for papal celibacy. But where Simon saw a boat... Jesus looked deeper. Simon saw a boat, but Jesus saw a pulpit. Simon saw his business, Jesus saw his platform. Simon was just looking at it in a shallow level, but Jesus saw deeper. And so, as as the multitudes were pressing around, hungry for the word of God, Jesus was looking for a platform to preach to these people, to give them the word. He approaches Simon and he says, Can I have your boat? And I believe tonight, church, Jesus is approaching us and asking, Can I have your boat? Can I have your boat? What is your boat? What is your boat? You know, often we do this weird thing where we want to compartmentalize, you know, how we serve God. If we're doing something in team in church, you know, that's serving God. And if we are telling people that we're Jesus, which is good, that's serving God. But then everything else is not serving God. But actually, that's not the picture here. Your boat can be lots of things. Maybe it's a business. Maybe it's a place of work. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your degree. Maybe it's your intellect. Maybe it's your personality. Maybe it's your influence. Whatever it is, at the end of the faith series, I'm believing that Jesus is asking us, can I have your boat? Will you make it my platform? Now, when Jesus We can presume knew that when Simon bought the boat, he didn't mind that Simon used it to fish. It's fine, he didn't mind that that this was a business, but he knew that it was also his future platform. The boat was to serve the people. Church, did you know that God didn't just give you your job to make money? Is that? But it's for more. It's a platform. He didn't just give you your personality, your mind, your skills, Your influence for no reason. And I'm believing there's people in this room right now, and you're facing a series of decisions that are going to shape your future, whether the door is open or closed. And God is saying, Will you go deeper? It's not just a boat. Can I take it a bit deeper? And actually, this happened to me this week because not only are your blessings God's platform, your struggles are as well. Now, let's be honest, we have a reputation for being. The coolest church, internationally. Okay, I can say that because I'm friends with all the other church leaders. They all basically say the same thing. It's okay, right? I want you to know here, church, that this is an unbearable pressure on me as the senior pastor, because how am I meant to dress to keep up with the reputation of being the coolest church, in particular in the 6 p.m. service? And if you come to 11 a.m., you know I, I wear shirts. Sometimes I've been known to wear a suit if it's a funeral. So if someone's died or getting married, i put the suit on. Okay, I've got the shirt. Now, it's sometimes maybe a jumper, but the 6 p.m. service, I think I can't wear a shirt. It's not cool enough. I can't wear jumpers. I don't think that's cool enough either. It has to be denim for some reason. But, uh, you know, it becomes natural to Seb or whatever. But for me, my ideal day off is not very cool. My ideal day off is by myself with a flask of tea, my Moses stick, outdoor gear, hiking boots, history book in the back, off into the wilds, climbing around the castle. That's what I like to do on a day off. Please, please don't judge me. But this week, I don't know what that means. But Okay. But this week, for the first time in like 10 months or so, because I've, I've been ill and I thought some of you would know, I don't want to go on about it anymore, but I have not been able to do it because of health. And so, it was the first time in 10 months that I actually put on my gear, I felt well enough and I managed to climb up to Druslone Castle, came back down and for me it was a personal victory, a personal struggle, it was something not to be shared with anyone else because I'm an introvert. It was my day off. Mondays are my day. I don't like oversharing on social media. I don't really like Facebook at all, to be honest, but I feel I need to use it because I'm a pastor. You know, it's one of those things. And it was my wife who said, you should share about this. And I said, no, why? Because I don't want to be one of those people who just whinge on Facebook. And she said, no, no, people need to see, one, you're not a robot, two, to be encouraged that there's a victory, but it might encourage someone else as well. So I put out there, and I even, it was still not written with the best attitude because I even said I wasn't going to share this, but my wife told me I should. So there we are. And so then I just shared about, you know, my health and about this victory and, you know, that some, a Bible verse. It was pretty simple. From then, I've been shocked by the volume of response I had from it, including non Christians messaging me privately about it as well. To me, this has been a humbling experience because if I'm honest, I was like this this is my introvert space. This is my day off. This is my private thing. And God was saying, No, no, no. Your social media is my platform. Your struggle is my platform. Your victory is my platform. Your introvert day off. I'm cool with you having it, but it's my platform. Are you going to be flexible? It's my platform. I want to use it for my glory. Church, the same principle applies to you right now. Maybe you've been going through something, but I want you to know that your suffering can be his platform. Your struggle can be his platform. Your influence can be his platform. Your social media can be his platform. Your personality can be his platform. Your victory can be his platform. Your story can be his platform. Every good thing he's given you and the bad things you overcome, all of it can be a platform for the glory of God. And that's something to be excited about tonight. If you will let him. Because the scary thing is this. If Simon would have said, no, no, You can't have my boat, Jesus. He would have lost his whole purpose. The series of doors that opened for Simon, because he said yes, would have been closed at the outset if he'd have said, no, God, it's my boat. You can't have it. I'm not giving it to you. I'm believing tonight that God is asking someone in this room, can I have your boat? And whether you say yes or no, we'll set off a chain of events or close it down. Go deeper. Let's continue the story. Verse 4. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, wait a minute. Hang on a sec there, Luke. I think you missed something pretty big. Didn't we just read that they wanted to hear the word of God? And so Jesus went. He preached the word of God. So what did he say? Why are you not telling us? If there was a reporter that you sent to cover Jesus' ministry and see what he's preaching and he came back and you said, great, he used a boat. What did he say? Oh, I forgot to write that one down. You'd be thinking, well, that was useless of you. What have you done here? But this is not a mistake. Luke is doing this on purpose because Luke wants you to know that the message of this text tonight is found in what Jesus does and what happens when people obey in a faithful manner. That's what this text is about. Jesus had preached to the masses in the shallow waters, but a shift occurs here. So when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. This is the beating heart of this passage. Jesus turns to Simon and says, obey me one more time with the boat, but this time into the deep, launch your nets. But this time Simon is not, So sure. Last time he just obeyed and just did it, no fuss. But this time he says, he answers back and says, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Now let's pause the scene here and learn a bit about fishing. Okay, so. uh, Fishing is something we think of as a leisurely daytime activity. You know, this is another thing where me and Seb have been talking as we turn 30 this year. Fishing now appeals to us, you know. Before it didn't, but now the thought of leaving our wives and children to go and sit by a riverbank, have a drink, whether you catch anything or not, have a snack, it's fine, and then go off, non-alcoholic drink, Coca-Cola, and then come back. And that really appeals to us all of a sudden. But that's not what was going on at this time. The type of fishing done in the Sea of Galilee at this time was hard, physical work. And what Jesus is referring to here is trammel net fishing. You can go and see it in Israel if you want, till today, and they'll show you how they did it. But the Lexham Geographic commentary points out what was obvious assignment, what we need to realize. Fishing with a trammel net in ancient times was always done during the night, when the fish couldn't see the threads of the net. Modern, you know, threads of nets, they're they're much thinner and visible to the fish. Old ones weren't. So you always fish, when you were going fishing, it was always in the night. Not in the middle of the day. Now, Luke's already mentioned, the fishermen had gone from there and were washing their nets. So this is what's happened. Simon's gone out on his boat with his business He's done a night shift, okay? For all you night shift people here, you can relate. He's done a night shift, but it's been a disaster. He's caught nothing, and neither did his partners. So they've come home at the end of the shift. They've dragged up their boats, and then they were starting to wash their nets, That was what you did to prepare for the next day it's the equivalent of you've come home you take off your uniform you get it ready you get your stuff ready for the next day and then you're gonna chill out okay that's what's happening so it's been an absolute failure but they've gone home they're gonna do this wash the nets and then they're gonna chill out and Jesus comes along and he says to Simon yeah I know this is your chill out time but can I have your boat now to be fair to Simon he says yes Now, this is, again, a lesson to me. You know, if Jesus tells me, you know, on a Monday morning to go and do something for him, will I do it? It's my chill-out time, but will I do it? And this is what he does. But here, Jesus crosses the line because, you know, when it comes to preaching, that's that's Jesus' thing. He knows that's his thing. He's a carpenter, though, when it comes to practical business. And so, when it's preaching, Simon, no problem. But now... A carpenter is telling a fishing businessman how to fish. And he wants them to stop washing their nets after they've done some work, load them back up, go back out in the boat in the middle of the day like madmen, and release the nets again. Now, you can imagine Peter's Simon's Tonya where he says the word master, which is like the word for boss, okay? So, it's not a spiritual term. So, he's saying, boss, we have toiled all night. Let me tell you something. You're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. We have toiled all night. We have caught nothing. I know you're the boss, but let me enlighten you. The time for fishing was the night. Now, if we'd had a good catch in the night, you could say, well, maybe now is the time to push it further. Maybe they're still there. But when you didn't catch anything in the night, that is not the time to go back and fish in the day. Are you mad, Jesus? Jesus. Many of us are happy to let Jesus speak in church. But when he speaks to our personal lives, our job, our home, our chill our time, it's another thing altogether. And the second question is this, that Jesus is asking us, can I have your trust? Will you trust me when your experience says otherwise? Will you trust me When something hasn't worked. And I tell you to lean in more. will you trust me there? Maybe there's someone here tonight. And if you're honest. You're washing your nets. You gave it a go. Didn't work out. But it's not over. Until he says it's over. In human thinking. The time to launch out into the deep. Is when you're on a roll. But here, Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. When things have not worked, now, into the deep. When the experience says, when the odds say, not now, now is the time, into the deep. Can I have your trust? You know, we can be forgiven for saying the same thing. If God says that to us, we think, are you crazy, Jesus? I've tried everything. I have tried everything with this friendship. I have tried everything. With this child. I have tried everything with this marriage. I have tried everything with this job. I have tried everything with this team. I have tried everything with this church. And God is still saying, I know your expertise says otherwise, but I'm telling you, go deeper. Can I have your trust? What will we say? What's our response? And in my first year in, in college, in Bible college, I wanted to quit. I was anxious. I was stressed. I was overwhelmed. I knew I was out of my depth. It was too far away. It was too long. It was too hard. In my mind, I was thinking, "If I'm here for two years, but if I make it to one year, you still get a certificate. I can come home, and you know, my pride. Will, it's, I can, I can, I can deal with that." But a word one of my teachers gave me was basically along, along the lines of this: "This year, you know, you, you've been here, but I'm believing God is telling you to go deeper." To be a leader, to step up. And I'm thinking, what are you on about? I'm failing. Or at least not failing, I'm stuck in mediocrity. I'm coasting. I'm not doing that well. It's too hard for me. And you're telling me to go deeper. What's wrong with you? And yet I found that as I did obey, and that second year came, I decided I am going to go out to my depth. I'm going to just give it a go. And I found that as I launched out into the deep, I found what it was that God had for me. It was in the deep places where it was out of my depth, out of control, risky, crazy. It was there that I thrived. Not in the shallows, not where it was safe. I spent one year in mediocrity. And year two and year three, out in deep, crazy places. But that was when God had the blessing. That's where he shaped me. That's where he changed me. Speaking for thousands of people, that was the intense, scary, deep places. The Bishop T.D. Jakes, whose sermon insight on this passage massively inspired me, notes this. This is faith at its apex, to go deeper into something that isn't working. This is faith at its apex, to go deeper into something that isn't working. Church, don't be found washing your nets at a time when God is telling you to go deeper. And to his credit, this is what Simon says. He does chops back to Jesus, but he does say in the end, nevertheless, at thy word... (laughs) I will let down the net. He may not have agreed with Jesus, his experience may not have matched with him, but Simon obeyed. He didn't feel like it, but he obeyed. Church, I'm believing that God wants to give us something for which we have no point of reference, for which we have no experience. You know, look at slower. We've never been there before. We don't know how to do that. But God knows. God knows. Tell the person next to you, stop washing your nets. Don't give up yet. Because the truth is this that God is not through healing you. He is not through raising you. He is still moving. And God wants to use what you have put away. See, he is the God who turns all things around for good. And all things means all things. Even the things that you thought took you out of the game, God wants you to pick up that net, put it back in the boat, and out again. He wants you to get your joy back, your enthusiasm back, your vision back, your experience back, your fight back. He wants to give it back to you. Will you launch out into the deep? The keys can come up. Because this is what we read here. That a Simon obeys, and they launch into the deep, look at the result. Are you ready for the result? Are you ready for what happens when we go into the deep places? Verse six. And when they had done this, even with not the best attitude when they had done this. So they went out into the deep, they released the nets, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to the partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began To sink in the middle of the day when it made no sense at all. But yet at Jesus' word, they found a catch like they had never found before. At his word, there were so many, it was breaking the nets. It was so many, it was sinking the boats. The harvest was so great, they couldn't contain it. Great problem to have. A great problem to have. Now, note the impact on Simon, and I want you to miss this. Note the impact as a result of his obedience. When Simon Peter, let me repeat that. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I I'm a sinful man, O oh Lord. What? Where's the praise report, Peter? Just caught loads and loads of fish. Best business haul of your whole career. You know, you listen to Jesus, he came through for you. Put the praise report in, get the MC up, let's all cheer together. You know, what, what are you doing here? Why are you on your knees Because what we are reading here is the making of a man of God. That's what we're reading here. As a direct result of faith-filled obedience. What we are watching is the destruction of one identity. And the birth of another. When he sees the catch and he falls on his knees... Jesus, depart from me. I am a sinner. For the first and only time in the whole of the gospel of Luke, he is referred to as Simon Peter. Before this, it's always Simon. That was his old name. Simon the businessman. Simon the fisherman. This is the moment where Simon dies. And we see the birth of Peter. The chief disciple. The word Peter means it's a nickname, Rocky or the Rock. We see the businessman die. And instead, the rock that the church, the early church, was going to be built with, Jesus says, was born. What what is this telling us? It's saying this that the true men and women of God are not made in the shallow waters. They're made in the deep, in the faith-filled, crazy, obedient level places. Imagine the picture of the boat out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Imagine the fish and the nets and all going around. Imagine the fishermen joyfully bringing in the hall and then zoom in and see Jesus and Peter and he's on his knees. Why? Why does he react like this? Because he doesn't react like this any other time we read. He's echoing, actually, Isaiah when he's in the throne room of God. When Isaiah is in the throne room of God in the presence of God for the first time in intense ways, he's, his natural instinct is, I'm a sinner and I, I'm a guilty man. My eyes have seen the Lord. Woe is me. I'm dead, basically. See, in this moment, Simon realizes who Jesus is. Because this miracle was in his experience realm. He knew that this was not possible. He knew that what he'd seen was shifting and destroying what he thought was possible. It was changing his level of reality. And so before, Simon had called Jesus master, boss. But here he calls him Lord. He sees in Jesus the presence of of the one true God of Israel on his boat who can do all things, who has control over nature itself. And he is standing there before him. And this is the moment where he is changed forever. Church, if you want to know how people become a real on fire man and woman of God, it's not in the shallows. The environment God uses is the deep, the deep. The passage ends with three final verses. For he, that's Peter, and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish. So it was stupefied. They couldn't get their heads around it. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So it wasn't just him, James and John, the thunder boys, that's their other nickname from Jesus. They were fishing partners. And Jesus says to Simon, Do not be afraid. No, church, this is the classic response of when heaven meets earth in the Bible. When men encounter the divine, whether it's an angel or God, they freak out. And usually the angel or Jesus here says these words instead. Don't be afraid. See, our God is all powerful, but we don't need to be afraid of him. You only be afraid of him. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. See, Jesus cements the shift. That's what occurred. See, he says to Simon, from now on. In other words, this is a turning point here. I am calling you into new waters. I'm giving you a new identity, a new set of circumstances. I'm giving you a new mission. I'm giving you a new paradigm. I'm giving you a new season. I'm giving you a new horizon. I'm changing who you are, what you do, how you think. I'm changing what you believe is possible. Once you fished for fish, that was the whole extent of your ambitions. But now we're going to another level. Now we're going to go deeper. Now we're going to fish for people. People are going to be the prize. And this is the third question is what Jesus asks. I mean, he kind of just says it, but he's asking us sight like as this. Can I have your future? Can I have your future? Can I take your mental limits of what you think is possible and can I smash it in pieces? Can I have your future In the Greek, the tense of this phrase is continuous. So in other words, Jesus is saying, this is going to be your ongoing mission. Peter, this is going to be the win for you now. This is your future. And the Greek word that Jesus uses here is the word for capture alive. So in other words, instead of taking dead fish to the market, now, Peter, you are going to catch living souls for the kingdom of God. It's going to be who you are. It's going to be your mission. Now, Peter's answer not the response. They land back at shore after the biggest haul of their lives. And then they sell all the fish and they buy more boats and invest in their business. No, that's not what they do. They have the biggest haul of their lives. They get to the end of it. And they just leave it. And says, Simon, follow Jesus instead. Why did he do that? Two reasons. Why settle? For a future of catching dead fish, when you can be part of God's mission to catch people for the kingdom of God, and here's the second thing: I'm going to surely, you know, sell the fish, and you know you can help carry on. But no, no, no. Why do you need to worry? Why do you need to cling on to the miracle when you walk with the miracle maker? Why cling on to this when you're walking with the miracle maker? If he's able to do it then, he can do it again. He could do it anytime. And so Simon is left behind. And Peter walks off into full discipleship to follow Jesus. And although as we read his story, there are some bad bits to come. But he makes it through. And is faithful to the end. Church, I believe that this is a word in season. It's been a stretching season. As for us as a church, there's been sicknesses, there's been stresses, there's been babies, there's been all sorts going on. And common sense says we're stretched. Now is the time to play it safe, to do the bare minimum, to just keep things ticking over, to stay safe in the shallow waters where we can control everything. But God is saying otherwise. Because the catch, the blessing, the making of a man and woman of God is not in the shallow waters, it's in the deep. Yeah. Let us not be found washing our nets, giving up in despair when God has something else for us in the deep. You see, Simon could have settled and stayed as a fisherman that no one would ever have heard of again. Maybe lived a comfortable life, but God had more for him. He had the more. Ultimately, there are no bystanders in the kingdom of God. We have to answer the question on a personal level. Jesus is asking you tonight, can I have your boat? Can I have your trust? Can I have your future? Will your answer be, at thy word, yes. And I believe he's asking the same to us as a church on a corporate level. With a new season and a new vision, can I have your boats? Can I have your trust? Can I have your future? That answer be, Lord, at thy word, yes church, the blessing, the wonder, the joy, the freedom, the excitement, the beauty, the harvest is not found in the shallow waters. It's found in the deep. Obedience means going deeper. Faith means going deeper. Faith means it's impossible to please God without it. You have to be willing to launch out into the deep. Will we be those kinds of people? Let's stand together I want to pray for two groups of people. And the first group of people is this. This turning point here of Simon to Peter is significant on two levels. First, I think it helps us point towards the process of conversion. See, the word repentance basically means doing a 180. It means you were going this way, and then you decide, I'm going to turn around, and I'm going this way instead. And this is what we see when Peter in the future, is preaching boldly in the birth of the church. And people ask him, what must we do to be saved? And he says this, repent, do the 180. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, all of us, the Bible says, were broken. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. But God was not willing to let that be. Actually, he wants to save us. He wants to bring us into a relationship with him. He wants to bring us to new life. But what we are required to do is repent. Do the 180. It's your choice, but he asks you of it. Now, how did Jesus do this for us? How was he able to forgive us? Because Jesus doesn't ask us to walk a road that he hasn't walked himself before remember what we celebrated at christmas that god's answer to saving humanity was becoming a human if that is not going out into the deep i don't know what is god went all in all in i'm going to become human and walk with the constraints of a human body i'm going to embrace a baby's mind I'm going to be born. I'm going to grow up. And more than that, I'm going to die. The creator of life dying on a cross. He was willing to go all in, to go all in, so that we could be saved. On the cross, Jesus plunged himself into the depths of God's judgment so we wouldn't have to, so that mercy and forgiveness can be offered to us. What is required of us is repent. It's a promise repent and be baptized. Every one of you, everyone in this building, everyone in this world, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. It will happen. If you do this, he's waiting. It will happen. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He will indwell in you. He'll be with you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed. if that's you right now. And there's someone here, and you know you need to make your peace with God. You know you don't have forgiveness of sins at the moment. You know... Actually, I don't have right relationship with God. Today is the day. With you, do the 180 and turn and follow him. So on the count of three, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to lift your hands in the air and say, God, I'm in. I'm saying yes. I'm taking this faith step. I'm doing the 180. And then we're all going to pray together as a family. One, two, three. Three, lift your hands in the air if that's you. If that's you right now and you know you need forgiveness of sins. You know you need to make your peace with God. Let's pray together, all of us as a family. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. That you went all in. That you went into the deep so that I wouldn't have to. I'm sorry for all of my sins and all of my mistakes. Forgive me and change me and make me new. Would you help me to love you, to love others, to live in the freedom and the calling that you have for me? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's thank God together. If that was you, and you prayed that prayer for the first time. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the mission. Welcome to a new identity. Welcome to a new person. You've become a new creation. Everything will be different now. We'd have to give you a Bible and help you on your way. So please come and speak to me, one of the teams, someone who brought you. That would be awesome. But there's a second group of people I want to pray for right now. There's a second transformation. See, this is not Peter's salvation scene. It's the conversion into his calling. And maybe tonight you're here and you know you're not really running in your calling. You know that where you are right now is in the shallows, playing it safe, not in the deep. Maybe you've never left the shallows. Today is the day you can go deeper. Or maybe you once were in the deep, once you were going for God, once you were living in faith, once you were doing amazing things, but you got hurt. Something happened along the way. There was a setback. And so you've swam back to shore. You've left the boat. And now you're sitting on the shore, washing your nets, living a small, comfortable, safe life but not the life that God has for you. Today, God is calling you into the deep again. I'm believing tonight there's someone here, maybe more than one person, that Jesus decisively wants to shift from Simon to Peter, from Saul to Paul, from the shallows to the deep, from playing it safe to living in faith. From living a life of comfort to living a life of calling. Tonight, Jesus is asking, is that you? So let's bow our heads again and close our eyes. And if that's you right now, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand in the air as a sign to God. That's me. That's me. I know I need to get back out there. I know I need to get out into the deep. And we're going to pray together as a family. We're going to sing oceans once again. We're going to lift this up unto God. But make that your prayer tonight. So if that's you, why don't you lift your hands on the count of three. One, two, three. Lift your hands in the air if that's you. See that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. So many hands. You can put your hands on if that was you. Is there anyone else before I pray for these people? Is there anyone else right now? I believe this word wasn't just a normal word, that this is a word in season, that right now the Holy Spirit's presence is here. God is moving. Make this your prayer. That's all of us, maybe, if you're Christians as well, that are full on board and you think you're good. That's all of us. Lift our hands in the air anyway. Let's pray together. And as I pray and as we go into this song, Make this your heart's prayer. Lord, we thank you that you have not called us to live safe. That you have not called us to live in the shallows. That you have not called us to live in the bare minimum. That you have not called us to live the life that has no significance or meaning. Lord, you have not called us to just be saved. That you have called us, Lord, for more. That we are not meant to just live saved. That we are meant to live called as well. So, Lord, right now, I pray on behalf of all these people. I come against the spirit of failure and I bind it in the name of Jesus. I come against the spirit of giving up and I bind it in the name of Jesus. Jesus. I come against the spirit of shallow thinking and I bind it in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray right now that the future Peters will be released for new identities to flow. I pray for new callings to come upon this place. Lord, I pray for new measures of faith to fall. Holy Spirit, I pray for new measures of anointing to fall upon this place. Lord, I pray for burning visions. Lord, I pray for a burning revelation of who you are in this place right now. Lord, I pray that these people would not say, have my boat have my trust, have my future, have it all. Lord, I pray right now that we will go deeper than we've ever gone before. Lord, I pray would you lead us? We tell to you, Lord, at your word, we will obey. We want the deep waters. We don't want to settle for less. We want all that you have for us. Lord, would you lead us? Would you lead us? Would you shape us? Would you help us to become the men and women of God that you've called us to be? And Lord, we pray for a harvest of souls to be unleashed as a result. And we pray this in the name of Jesus christ and we all said together amen thanks for listening to this message from 21st century church if you've enjoyed this podcast we'd appreciate it if you could review and share it on social media remember to check us out at 21stcenturychurch.co.uk for any more information we'll see you next time